My name is Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. This podcast will be about my story and my words, talking about my own personal experiences and self-healing. I do not claim to be a therapist, counselor, or a licensed psychologist. Hello, my name is Amanda Bedard, and I'm the co-host, producer, and editor of Invisible Tears. I'm a Reiki master, certified professional life coach, spiritual coach, wellness coach, and a counseling practitioner. Some of the content you will hear in this podcast may be disturbing to some. Viewer discretion is advised, but it is our hope by putting this information out there that we may help others to heal. We will always be a platform for truth and healing. This is Invisible Tears. On this episode of Invisible Tears, part two of Jane's attack, Jane continues to explain what she went through while she was in the hospital after her attack. Now, I was in ICU for five days, and then I was in my regular room for another eight days. He was, he was super protective. I mean, I had a guard outside my door at all times, um, obviously because this guy wasn't found and, and I also didn't realize at the time what the magnitude of all that was. Right. So when you say guard, do you actually mean police officer? Police or officer. security from the... No, nope, police, police officer. So yeah. besides Dennis. Yeah. You had another, you yeah. had the police officers too. Yes. And, uh... Good. So Dennis was like super protective. Like he wouldn't let me see the TV. Eventually I came to um and the ventilator came out where the nurses and I were able to talk and they asked me if I wanted a newspaper to read and Dennis was like, Nope, no newspapers, none of that stuff. And come to find out Evidently, I was splattered all over the news. Yeah. Um, newspapers, CNN, the WMUR, Channel 9 News in New Hampshire. Yeah, I guess I, um, I was all over the news. And Dennis didn't want me to see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to back up a little bit because um, I don't know how long I was in ICU at that moment, I know I still had the ventilator in, but the detectives have come had come to visit me mm-hmm. while you were in ICU. While I was in ICU, you. yes. And um, <laughs> now that I think about it, it's kind of I kind of wonder if they even thought I was going to survive because I don't know how they were going to interview me when I had the ventilator in. But um, it was a lot of eye blinking, one for yes, two for no. And it was at that time we we actually did the um, composite of the guy, and it was kind of it was kind of interesting the way they did it because they would they had all these little slides, and they had um, slides of the face, 
and slides of the chin and slides of the mouth and slides of different noses and eyes and foreheads and hair and it was just very um, tedious. Mm. And yeah, because you would have to go through each part of the face yeah. and they're doing this while you can't talk and you're just blinking with answers. Exactly. Like they would take out the eyes and they take the eyes out. Well, first they did the face. Mm -hmm. And they were like, is it a round face or a more narrow face? And blink once for a narrow face, blink twice for a round face. That's exhausting. You know, something like that. And, um, they, you know, they did it with the nose. Should the nose be wider or narrower? And the eyes. And and it, it was, um, yeah, it was, it took quite a while. I, I can remember it took quite a while. And, uh. And then that's how they got the composite. The composite. Um, I was actually in the ICU with a ventilator in, and we're making a composite of the guy. Wow. So when they took the ventilator out, <laughs> this is this is kind of funny, and this is Dennis. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> He's uh. His heart's always in the right place, but he doesn't always uh, <laughs> he doesn't always make the right choices. <laughs> <laughs> Once we had the ventilator out, um, I think a day or two went by, and and uh, of course I couldn't get really any visitors. It was just basically Dennis and my immediate family, mm -hmm. and uh, so. Dennis had said to the doctor, the doctor had come in and talked to us, and um, Dennis had told the doctor, you know, there's a lot of people that want to see her. Yeah. When can she be moved to a regular room? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the, the doctor said, well, she needs to eat a little and drink a little, and she needs to poop. <laughs> <laughs> And evidently, the eating and drinking passed Dennis's mind, and the poop hit it. <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> so him and my brother were there, and I said, "Well, I would love something to eat and drink because I hadn't eaten or drink drank anything at all." Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> so Dennis and my brother, they said, "Oh, we're, we'll go downstairs and get you something to eat and drink," you know we'll get you something good anything particular you want and I'm like anything I should have never said anything <laughs> they come back up with prune juice <laughs> <laughs> now <laughs> I haven't eaten or drank anything in probably five days and prune juice <laughs> is the last thing I really wanted to drink. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, that's perfect. I would have been so pissed off. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me right now? But you ha had you seen Dennis? He was so proud. <laughs> he was so proud of himself. 
So <laughs> eventually I got in my room. Mm-hmm. And uh Thanks to the prune juice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I drank it. I really don't. I wouldn't have. I'll remember this, Dennis. (laughs) (laughs) I have to. So anyways, um, got in my regular room. And uh, that's when I started. I was able to get visitors and stuff. And that was great, seeing seeing other people. Yeah. And... uh, I can remember my mom was there one day. This was like, I was probably in my regular room maybe a day or two. And my mom was there. And uh, I had asked her, I said, Mom, what is is up with Dennis with the news and the newspaper? And she said, Jane, you're all over the news. And I said, what do you mean I'm I'm all over the news? And she's like, you are everywhere. You're in the papers. You're in on CNN. You are on all news media. And she said, um, you know, the media is here at the hospital. There's like tons of trucks, media trucks, here at the hospital. And I, I just, I couldn't comprehend the magnitude of why. Right. You're like, I understand that something like this happening in such a small town and in our area is, <clears throat> is abnormal. You know what I mean? Is it, isn't the norm, you know what I mean? By any, by any means. But at the same time, you're like, why, why, what, why, why are, why are they freaking out so bad? Like why CNN? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that I would be surprised to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would be surprised to like, yeah, it was confusing to me. Yeah. Um, so about, oh, I don't know, I was I was in my regular room for probably two or three days. And the detectives came back up to visit me and actually interviewed to find out exactly what happened that night. Yep. Because obviously nobody really knew exactly what happened or the whole, you know, what had um, occurred. Do you remember which detectives? It was Mike LeClaire, and I'm not sure who the other one was. But Mike LeClaire was, um, he was like the lead detective on the case at the beginning. And uh, for some reason, I I was under the assumption they were going to find him pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I had no reason not to believe that. But I was 22. I was young. So when they came up, I said, you found him. And they're like, no. I said, you know who he is. And they're like, no. And I was, I was like, okay, they'll find him. They'll, they'll right. figure out who he is and arrest him and all that. And uh, so I had given them in great details what happened that night and they left. Well, they actually were like, um, you know, you sure Dennis didn't do this to you? <laughs> I was like, I assure you, it that was would, not Dennis. That would have pissed me off. Beyond it was belief. not Dennis. You need to investigate someplace else. Right. So 
um, a nurse had brought in a newspaper. Um, I believe it was the um, the recorder. <sighs> Front page. I read about my attack. And my name's in the paper. On the front page. Front page. Now, back then, they put victims' names in the paper, whether it was domestic, violent, rape, any names were in the paper. Today, they do not do that. I was going to say, it kind of seems like a safety concern, considering they hadn't caught him yet. Absolutely. And... Today, they, they absolutely, if you're domestic rape or any kind of violence like that, your name is never, in, the victim's name is never in the paper. Yep. The victim's name is never on the news. Mm-hmm. So me sitting there reading this and seeing my name, it kind of heightened my fear. I'm thinking, all right, well, this wasn't very smart on their part, but... He knows my name. Right. Public records. Public records. He knows my name. And the police were still guarding my door. And I can remember that night I was going to sleep. And I had my first nightmare. The night after you read the article? Yeah. Yep. And... You know, I dreamt he killed the guard and came in and got me. Because all that went through my mind was he wants to finish me off. He wants to finish what he started, and that was to kill me. Yep. And knowing that I can identify him gives him more of a reason to want to kill me. Right. And that stuck with me for a long time, a real long time. And uh, I also read in the paper about the Connecticut River Valley serial killer. That heightened my fear a little bit more, too. Was it separate articles or were the, it w- was that the time when you actually started realizing you were being connected to the Connecticut that was when murders. they that was I believe that was the first article where they can they were connecting when they were connecting me you with the other cases simply because of you know, yeah. MO and sort of an, an attack and, and that sort of thing were all similar exactly Interesting. and I found out then that I, I was the only survivor right and that that stuck with me. I, I I don't know why anybody else, nobody told me that I actually had to read that in the paper. Why didn't the detectives tell me while they were there instead of me reading this in the newspaper? Yeah, I'm wondering if they're thinking that it might have just... Um heightened your fear but while I understand that perspective I would think that 
reading it from an alternate source, not the people that were even working on your case, would have actually had more of a damaging impact. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we went through, to, just to back it up just a little bit, um, so we went through, you know, your ICU days and, and days in your um, regular room in the hospital. Um, so what happened with Jessica? Jessica, um, I, I had several ultrasounds, mm-hmm. and Jessica was perfectly fine. That's amazing. There was, um, there was, um, she, she suffered no, no stab wounds, um, and and I was still very much pregnant. I was wow. That I is was still amazing. very much pregnant. I wasn't sure if Jessica had to be like emergency. You know what I mean? Like if she had to be, you know, taken, you yeah. know, while you were, you know, in surgery. Or I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't sure how that actually, how that actually. Yeah, went. She oh, was wow. fine. She was fine. And mm-hmm. that's amazing. It is. She's the reason why I'm alive. I have said that. From day one, and I will say it till the day I die, it was because I wanted her to live so much. It's the reason why I survived. And she wanted to live. Mm-hmm. And I, I truly believe if I was not pregnant, I would not have survived. I think she just gave me that extra, that extra strength I needed to to survive. Yep. Without a doubt. I have no doubt in my mind about that. I believe it too. Mm. And knowing both of you beautiful, strong women. <laughs> yeah. She's amazing. I'm very, very lucky to have her for a daughter. I'm very lucky to have her in my life. I feel very fortunate about that. All right. Sorry, I took you off topic. Okay, <laughs> and okay. I brought you back there. I was like, oh, wait a minute. While we're <laughs> still in the realm of the hospital stays in, you know what I mean? I wanted to make sure yeah. that I asked that. So we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. And now back to our episode. I remember, I mean, this was the first time people, um, I perceived that people were different around me. I can remember um, I was still, I was in my regular room. I was still in the hospital. And there had been like 10, maybe 15 people came to visit me all at once. And of course the nurse was like, oh no, 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 no. You have this many people in your room. Right. There was a big waiting room down the hallway. And um, so we all went down there. So that way I can visit everybody at once. And, uh, I can remember sitting in there and, oh, people were different towards me. How so? How so? They were, they were quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, you could tell some of them didn't know what to say to me. Yeah. Um, some of them were careful with what they said to me. It was, it, they were different the way they talked to me. And I'm sure I was very different, too. And I often wonder, maybe it wasn't them. It was more of me and how I was perceiving the conversations with people. True. I mean, there's most definitely, there's two sides, right? So you most definitely could be 
looking at things differently and perceiving things differently. But in the same token, I'm, I'm sure that they were acting slightly different, almost like a, we don't really know how to act or what to say Say, in this type of situation because we've never, we've never been in this type of situation. We've never had, you know, this close friend or, you know, that's been through this. We don't know what we can say or what we should say. And I'm sure, I mean, they read a lot of stuff in, in the paper and, and saw a lot of stuff on the news. Yeah. And I'm sure they didn't know how much I knew or what, how much I didn't know. So I'm sure it was a, they're protecting me. But I know the person I was that day before my attack was completely gone after my attack. I tried to not show it. I tried to hide it. But I knew I was different. I don't think that I don't think that anybody can go through a situation like that and not be changed by it. Yeah. I mean, if you weren't changed at all, that would probably be the abnormal. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. I do. When you said that, though, that the person, the person that you were before your attack, you knew that they were gone. You looked really sad when you said that. Yeah. So as if you were to describe, you know, the person that you were before the attack, would you say... I could sort of think about a, a couple of like descriptors, like personality descriptors and things like that. I'm sure you were, were you like sort of like a happy go lucky, adventurous? I was, uh, I was happy go lucky. Yeah. I was very, um, I don't want to say I was like a, a flower child or whatever. I, I, Never, a life never had a plan. And I did whatever that moment required me to do. You were spontaneous. I was very spontaneous. And I I trusted. I trusted everybody. I never, ever, ever, ever felt fear. I always was just trusting. Mm-hmm. I was unpredictable. I can still see that. I was very unpredictable. <laughs> and I was happy. I was happy with who I was. Um, I always had, I always was like, you either like me or you don't like me. This is who I am. This is, this is, you know. This is the package. You take it or you leave it. Exactly. This is what you get. But after my attack, I worried about how people perceived me. And that's sort of understandable given what a spotlight was shown on you. And it was so abrupt and so confusing. And not only that, you were shielded from so much of it at the beginning. It was almost like a, it was almost like a, you were constantly being shocked by things. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, while obviously, you know, having embedded in your personality, I really don't care what people think of me and I'm sort of, and I am who I am and I'm still, you know, and I'm spontaneous. I can still see, I can still see that in your personality just to give you feedback. Yeah. But it's totally understandable and totally, I would think totally and absolutely normal to then all of a sudden have this, I mean, because you were just plastered across everywhere. Media, newspapers, everywhere. You can't help but have those thoughts and those notions sort of come into your head because you are everywhere. It's almost like it's so overwhelming. It was very it's overwhelming. Nothing that you've experienced before. No. So you are all of a sudden going to have to, you know, deal with this emotion and deal with this, oh, God. You know, oh, I'm going to be, oh, I'm on the news again. Oh, what are they saying in that paper? Oh, that, it, it's stressful. Mm -hmm. It's stressful and it's super, super overwhelming. It was. It was, it was almost like an invasion of my privacy. Absolutely. And like every time I read the paper, I was like, oh, they're so wrong there. And oh, that's misinformation. And, you know, I was like. I, I would almost like analyze their articles all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's me. You don't know me. You never interviewed me. But yet you're saying this in there. It's like. Exactly. But yet you're writing about me. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you come talk to me? I didn't want them to talk to me. Mm. Mm. Good point. They, they had come. They had come to the hospital a few times. And um, the the guard at my door, he would he would come in and say, like, you know. Keen Reformer is here, mm -hmm. or Keen Sentinel is here. You know, they want to interview you, and I'd be like, no. You know, or CNN, uh, CNN, not CNN, uh, WMUR wanted to come in and interview me, and, and I said no. Mm -hmm. I said no. But and it's, it's funny because uh, the day that I was getting out of the hospital, I was being released. All of a sudden, all the news media is gone. They're not out in front of the hospital anymore. I looked out my window. I don't see any trucks. I don't see any of those satellites or anything. And I'm like, so the nurse walked in, and I said, the media is gone. Nobody's out there. And she's like, oh, yeah, we knew you were getting discharged today, so we told media you get discharged yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> like that was brilliant brilliant oh, <laughs> she's like yeah because we wanted you to be able to go home and not be followed or whatever and being you know um you know approached right by the media as you were walking while you were leaving the hospital so yeah that was nice of them to do. that was very nice of them to do because i can't you know i can't i know people that came in to visit me they were like, oh, my God, the media is in front of the hospital. We had to walk through them. Do you know Jane? And constantly asking questions about me. And so I can't imagine what the staff had gone through yeah. with all that. You know, that must have been pretty difficult for them. And I thought about that, too, when I was in the hospital. I was like, you know, they have to walk through that all the time. Right. You know, and, and they obviously they couldn't ask, you know, answer questions about me or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
But um, that must have been a lot for them. It must have been, but I think, um, especially case in point with what they did with, you know, when you were on, on the day you were going home and how they made it yeah. so you could go home for I'm sure, yes, it must have been, you know, annoying for them and must have been a little bit challenging for them, but I'm sure that it made them sort of appreciate your privacy and seeing how, um, yeah, just sort of sounds like they were relentless and they're seeing it from the perspective of this woman is lucky to be alive. And so why don't you just leave her alone? You know what I mean? Exactly. Yep. But, um, before I was released, um, the detectives came up to the hospital to see me again. Now this is almost two weeks after my attack and they come up and of course I'm like, so you found him, you know, I, I just, I still had no reason to think they weren't going to find him. Right. And they said, no, but, oh, by the way, we want to let you know, Dennis is no longer a suspect. <laughs> I was like, okay, I get it. They have to investigate the closest mm -hmm. person to you. But when the survivor is telling you it was not your significant other, right? I believe them sometimes, especially in this situation. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess they fully investigated him. He had to go to the police department and be interviewed and they interviewed people that he was with that night because he come to find out he was at the fair that night. Mm -hmm. Um, but to, to just hear them say, Oh, by the way, Dennis is no longer a suspect. It was, I, I, that bugged me. That, that, and it still bugs me that, that they did that. Yeah. Um, I because I, I feel almost like they, they took away from the investigation Exactly. That they should have been doing and focused on him. Exactly. I don't know. It's almost like if you had just taken what I said. Exactly. And believed me and not put any additional focus on him. I mean, still technically do what you have to do to clear. I mean, whatever to, you know, cover your ass. But I'm telling you. It wasn't him. I'm telling you, you know, I'm doing the whole blinking thing with the composite and doing, you know. And I'm telling you repeatedly, it's not him. And he's in here every day. You know what I mean? By my side. And I'm telling you, it's not him. Stop focusing on him and focus your energy to actually finding the person that did this. Exactly. That's the way I felt. That's exactly the way I felt. So when the detectives were there, I said, well, I'm going to be released. I think I was being released the next day. And I said, um... You know, is this guy at the door coming with me? <laughs> Meaning the guard. Um, you know, how do I go home? I am I going to have some kind of security? Am I going to have, you know, somebody there? Seems how you haven't found him yet. Exactly. And um, unfortunately, no. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I do not get a guard at my house. What did they say? Was it like, did they give you some sort of 
like BS thing, like it's limited resources or something like yeah, that? Or I don't remember, really. There's been no threat, like recent threat or something? You know, honestly, I don't remember. Yeah. Um. But they said that the town police will be doing drive-bys by my house. Mm-hmm. So um, that made me feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, not, I mean, the fear was still there. And when I got home, I was never alone. Never, ever, ever alone. Somebody had to be with me all the time. And if I went somewhere, I had to be with somebody. If anything, I I, I wasn't driving for about a month anyways because I was still healing mm -hmm. from my um, tendon in my leg and my knee. But um, I always had to have somebody with me. Um, and I was scared. I, I was, uh, I was very scared. I went outside a few times by myself, but I, I just felt, I felt as if, what is he, what if he's watching me? Right. You know? And then one day, again, Dennis protecting me. One day, um, where Dennis's house was, right next door was the family farm. So one day I decided to take a walk over next door and there was my car sitting there. And there was this guy cleaning it. Mm -hmm. And the next thing I know, Dennis is behind me. He's like, hey, come here, let's walk this way. And I'm like, no, I wanna, I wanna see my car. Mm -hmm. And um, the, they had just gotten done processing my car with, for evidence. Yep. And they brought it over to the farm and they had um, the insurance company had somebody come and clean it because I guess there was um, obviously a lot of blood in it. And, yep. and they dusted for fingerprints all over the place. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there was a lot of that. You know, the guy was just finishing up cleaning my car, and and uh, I told Dennis, I, I want to go over and see my car. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he had to go over first to see how much they had cleaned. And then I went over, and uh, the guy just finished up. It was it was all cleaned and everything, and um, my stuffed animals were gone. They took my stuffed animals, and... They fixed the windshield, and so the car was all ready to go. It was um, ready to be drivable again. Uh, Where'd the stuffed animals go? I had evidence. Just, evidence. Oh, okay. And for whatever reason, I don't know. Hmm. But they were gone. So I remember you saying that you were excited that those were for Jessica. I was. Winning them. I was. Yeah. I was. Hmm. Interesting. I was just wondering if it, maybe they were, you know, ruined by you know what I mean or and maybe had to be disposed of but so. they pretty much well no not pretty much they took everything out of my car everything that was in my car they took out of my car for evidence and they you know oh and, and to back up too while they were up at the hospital while I was in ICU the first time the detectives came they did scrape my fingernails um, because I had a lot of um they believe I may have scratched him. Yep. And um, so they scraped underneath my fingernails and kept that for evidence. 
But um, as far as everything in the car, they they kept everything. They kept the windshield, my sneakers because my sneaker is what kicked the windshield out. Yep. Um. And everything else that was in the car, the sodas, stuffed animals. Um, I eventually got my pocketbook back. They had they had actually gone through my pocketbook, but. So, um, so I went over the car and, uh, I was real quiet. I'm looking at it and Dennis wanted to sell it. And I said, no, it's, that's my car. <laughs> I loved my car. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to sell it. I said, I'm fine with it. I really am. And, um, I ended up keeping the car for another, God, five years, something like that. But he, he did not want me to have that car anymore. And I understand why. You know, I totally get it. He just didn't want, you know, he didn't want me to be seen driving it, you know. He probably didn't want you to have any triggers either. Yeah, yeah, a I'm lot sure. Of times, a lot of times objects or scenes or, um, yeah, areas things like that can actually trigger back traumatic uh, situations and events for people. Yeah. That is very true. But uh, being back home was hard for quite a while. And I didn't realize, I mean, it was, it was a few months, probably just before I had Jessica, where I I realized that I healed completely physically. Right. But I always knew something mentally was different. Right. Didn't know what it was. But I knew it was different. I knew I was different. I was very angry. I didn't always show it. But I was very... I was very angry that this happened to me. Understandably so. And, you know, it wasn't until I had Jessica that is when I realized how angry I really was. After I got home, I ended up moving back in with Dennis's parents and Dennis. And... It was probably a week after I got home, the detectives had, had come and visited me. Yep. And um, they asked if I could go for a ride with them. They wanted to go over to Gamarlo's. And that way I could show them exactly what happened, where I was, where I was parked. Um, they, they pretty much knew where I was attacked and... Um, because I guess there was a, a big blood stain there. And yeah, I, was gonna say I guess they actually had somebody come in and spray that down. I don't know if it was um, Gamarlo's store or the, or the police. Um, but um, so we went, we went over to Gamarlo's and uh, I was explaining to them exactly where I was, uh, where I was parked, where he was parked. Um, and got really detailed about a lot of stuff. 
And that's when they they had asked me if I wanted to, if I would be willing to go and be hypnotized. Mm -hmm. Because I was driving behind him. They wanted to see if I could um, identify the license plate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for for whatever reason, I, I I didn't that night, and uh, I. That's one thing that has changed in my life. If I see something abnormal or something weird or something that doesn't seem right. I'm jotting license plate numbers down <laughs> all the time. Yep, uh, it's not it's not a bad idea. I know, but I what wish I hurt? did it that night. I know, you know, I know. I wish I did it that night, but I was 22. I was young. Yeah, you were, um, and, and I was even kind of naive. I never knew there was serial killers in the state of New Hampshire. I mean, who? Right. I had no reason to even know that. Who thinks about that at 22? Who does? In a small town, in small towns. Yeah. Like around here. So, you know, I, I just never thought of doing any, you know, I never thought, oh my God, I'm behind him. I got to get his license plate. Over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest with you, Jane, it, it, with how much blood you probably already lost, it was it was a miracle that you were even driving and operating your car. That's true. So don't you dare be hard on yourself for not getting a yeah. license plate or being... <laughs> you were lucky to be conscious, my dear. I know. You were. I, I so. was. I was. I was. I was very lucky to be able to go get help for myself. Yeah. You really were. Uh-huh. So interesting. So the detectives were the ones that actually referred you up to John Philpin. John Philpin. Yes. He was up in Springfield, Vermont. And uh, so I went up there, uh, met with him. Very nice man. He hypnotized me. Um, I, I was very much hypnotized because I don't remember anything. <laughs> Usually the way it works. <laughs> and... Uh, um, I talked to John a little bit, um, you know, about different things. And he asked me a few questions before I was hypnotized. And, um, then the detectives brought me home and, uh, about a week later they said, um, we have to hypnotize you again. I'm like, why? And they're like, we got no audio. <laughs> Oh, no. Technical difficulties. No. (laughs) They had a camera on me. Mm -hmm. And they had audio audio recording (laughs) on me. I had a little mic on me. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, the audio didn't work that day. Hmm. So I went back up and met with John. And I, I was hypnotized again. That time I remembered everything. I kind of, I, I remember talking to him and and him walking through, walking me through everything. And um, I did get a partial plate. I uh, wasn't able to get the state, but I was able to get a partial plate, Was which was like three, 336 or 366 or something like that. We'll have to relook that up and 
Yeah, we can look that up. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, I hadn't heard from anybody in a while. Um, I had had Jessica. Um, and then I, I was reading a lot in the papers about um, the articles kept coming up about the serial killer, Connecticut River Valley serial killer. And that had the names of the victims that didn't survive in the articles. And there was quite a few the next six months um, after my after my attack and after I had Jessica. And I was just like getting really overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know more. Yep. I wanted to know what happened and what happened to these women and I wanted to know more. So I called John up and I said, John, you said anytime I wanted to talk, you'd be available. I want to talk. So he met me in Keene. We had lunch. And um, I said, I want to know more. Yep. I want to know about these women. I want to know what happened to them. Um, and unfortunately, he gave me some reports on each one of the cases. But most of the info was um, sharpied out, black yep. sharpie was out. redacted, yep. Yeah. Yep, for confidentiality. And yep. yeah, and he, he said, I'm sorry, you're probably not going to get much from these, but this is the best I can do for you. Right. I can't give you a whole lot of information because all the cases were active investigations. They were all still open and unsolved. And so, you know, I took them home. I read what I could. It was very confusing. But it was, it was surreal. It was like, reality slapped me in the face that oh my god I was attacked by a serial killer and I survived and survived and not only that you and your daughter survived exactly exactly yeah I was seven months pregnant attacked stabbed 27 times by a serial killer and I survived And you're here today. And I'm here today. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Invisible Tears. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast, hear all future episodes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a website, invisible-tears.com, where you can keep current with any events that may be happening with our podcast. Read more about Jane and the team. And read more about all the Connecticut River Valley unsolved cases. If you are looking for everyday items, clothes, collectibles, or a gift for that special someone, you can support us further by checking out our retail store, The Frugal Marketplace. We can be found at thefrugalmarketplace.com or search for us on eBay and Poshmark. We hold an online claim sale on Facebook Live every Monday night at 7 p.m. where you can find our latest items for sales or items at a deep discount. If you're local to the area, please stop in and say hi. You can find us at 919 West Swansea Road in Swansea, New Hampshire. The links for our products can be found in our show notes. If you want to learn more about my wellness practice, Guided Path Wellness, head to guidedpathwellness.org. 
There you can read more about me and my certifications, more about the Reiki and coaching services I offer both in person and remote, and read all about my products for sale that I make through the practice. Feel free to utilize the contact us section on the website with any questions or utilize that free 15-minute consultation booking button if you have any questions about what might work for you. Evil may exist in this world, but we will not let it win. See you next episode.